As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils. This is the dedicated Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up this week, we are going to discuss that goal from Edison Cavani. Manchester United's worrying form at Old Trafford this season. We're going to look ahead to Europa League final and answer some questions to help me make sense of all things Manchester United past, present and future. As ever, I'm joined by my fellow Manchester United beat writer, Laurie Whitwell. Laurie, how are you doing? It's been a while. Yeah, I'm good, Carl. Yeah, it's, I suppose with the games coming thick and fast, trying to pick a moment when we can uh, have a little bit of a pause and talk about what's going on uh, has proven a little bit difficult, but it feels like a good place, uh, you know, with Wolves coming up, with the Europa League final coming up, with your attendance at Old Trafford the other night. I was very jealous. Uh, it sounded good on TV. What was it like to actually be there? I got chills. I got chills when I walked through the tunnel and, and sort of heard some of the songs for the very first time uh, at a very special moment where just like, Andy Mitten predicted Cavani scored right in front of the Stretford end. <laughs> and uh, there was only 10,000, but they sounded like a lot, lot more. Uh, I'll use that as an introduction for him. He's a contributing editor to The Athletic, and he's also the editor of United We Stand. Uh, I also like to do the old, where in the world is he? And going by his Instagram, he was in Villarreal sometime this week. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how you doing? Hi, Carl. Yeah, I, I went down to Villarreal. I've been speaking to some of the players, which we'll see in The Athletic over the next few days ahead of the game. But I always try, if possible, to see people face-to-face. Um, I went down to the town and spoke to people, went to the club, went to the training ground, to the stadium, walked the streets. It's a really small place, 50,000 people. It's tiny. Met the, the man who runs the biggest supporters club there, met his family. He dropped in later on that he used to play for Villarreal, which was nice. He was quite a modest gentleman. And then people were walking past and everyone knows everyone there. And he said to me, do you know who that man is? I said, no. He said, come in. He said, oh, it's the vice president. It's the number two at the club. I'm like, hi, mate. Nice to meet you. you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's almost village-like. But I've been down there a lot over the last... 15 years and at times they've had some exceptionally good teams so um, it, it's a very well-run club and they're all looking forward to the final next week they've sold all 2,000 of their, their tickets they're quite fortunate because their fans don't have the same onerous restrictions returning to their country that 
any United fans would have returning to England. I met lots of nice people, but I hope they get absolutely battered in the final. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Let's kick on to some uh, Manchester United news. Right, Manchester United are going to finish the Premier League season in second place. However, that was secured by victory from Chelsea over Leicester City rather than performances against Leicester, Liverpool and now Fulham at home. Uh, Laurie, we've been alternating on games back and forth at Old Trafford recently. What are you making of uh, United of late? Yeah, limping over the line, aren't they? Second place is obviously an improvement on last season's third place. More points, although the gap to what we all expected them to get at the end of this season is not as big as it looked at one stage, you know, you sort of thought 76 points, 10 more points, that looks good. Whereas they're going into the Wolves game, you know, uh, 71. If, if they win that, then fine. It's, it's, it has been a, a good progression from, from last season in terms of the Premier League. But yeah, the, the performances are just looking a little bit ropey. I think the Harry Maguire aspect is obviously a big one. He would have played against Leicester had he been fit. You know, he would have been one of those players that actually retained his place in the much-changed lineup. Against Liverpool, I was there for that one. You could really see his absence. United, once they were pressed by Liverpool, they didn't really have an answer. And listen, maybe Maguire wouldn't have altered the result, but I feel like he would have spread more calm amongst that back line. He tried to from the stands, you know, he's been shouting. I don't know if it was a little bit more, the volume was turned down a little bit, given the fans were back in for the Fulham game. But certainly when it's uh, behind closed doors against Liverpool, he was very loud, just as he was when he's marshalling the back line anyway. So I think that's an issue. And I think maybe tiredness, it's been a long season. You know, it's been a, a chaotic season at times. It's been something that nobody uh, would have prepared for. Uh, you know, it's it's difficult to kind of get yourself up for these games when there's no fans. And I think we did see a lift. Certainly, you look at the Brighton v Man City game, you look at Everton winning at Goodison Park, these issues where fans not being there, has that contributed? And, and already you're seeing some signs that actually, yeah, that elusive uh, sort of 12th man, I suppose, does have an impact. But, you yeah, know, it is concerned, certainly ahead of the Europa League final, just because you want to go into that game with momentum, with a kind of steady, satisfied, cohesive understanding between players as to what they need to do. Listen, it might all flicker back into life again, but the, the Liverpool game was probably the most chaotic for me in worrying in just the sense of Liverpool's own defence with Nat Phillips and Reese Williams isn't the best. So, and it looked like it was very brittle to begin with. Actually, they should have probably attacked them more, but end up relinquishing the, the momentum and Liverpool took that game. So yeah, is, is a concern. I mean, when Liverpool, sorry, when Sheffield United have conceded fewer goals at home than Manchester United, that is a something to be addressed. What did you think, sort of, I guess, being at the, the Fulham game, what, what's your kind of impression of the last few matches at home? It was cosy without being careless, I'd say, the first half against Fulham. So obviously everyone's overjoyed to have fans back. There was some, I must mention, there were some quite prominent green and gold scarves and uh, statements and some chants as well. Uh, it was a, a celebration very much in the first 45 minutes. And obviously Cavani's goal is a triumph. Uh, I'll be writing the season review for the Athletic this season. Uh, and I, I did have a candidate for goal this season, but I think I'm going to quickly rewrite that and stick Cavani's one in there uh, before it all gets published. I just on the Cavani one, I just had this, this big beam in my bonnet this whole time since, you know, you know, particularly Graeme Souness at halftime, I guess you wouldn't have seen it, but various people, you know, zooming in and saying Bruno didn't touch the ball. And I'm thinking, you can't disallow a goal. <laughs> 
that gorgeous because you've zoomed in microscopically. That's not what VAR's for. Everyone thought he touched it. Listen, he might not have done, but sod it. You know, <laughs> you can't, you're not chalking that off. He's, he's got his bow and arrow out in front of the Stretford end. You can't rewind that and, and erase it. That goal and the whole did Bruno touch it or not is a really good evidence as to how home advantage quote unquote is back and the impact of fans being back. So after the game, Solskjaer said he felt a lot of his players were trying to do the flashy tippy tappy stuff because they were trying to impress the fans. And there were, I saw Luke Shaw take a shot from distance. I saw Aaron Wan-Bissaka go for some uh, more flashier passes and dribbles. And I went, okay, these are things you wouldn't have done behind closed doors. You'd have played to your game and kept doing whatnot. But with fans on, you, you try to entertain and the execution was a little bit sloppy, but uh, they were there or thereabouts. I was, again, in that very weird thing where you're watching Fulham and going, why are you relegated already? Where's this mm. fight come from? Mm. But uh, it is an interesting one. It is only one win in the last five Premier League games for Manchester United. They haven't looked truly convincing to my mind since the first leg against Roma. Uh, Andy, are United still the favourites for the Europa League final? Yes, they are. And... Villarreal think United are the favourites as well, but that position probably suits them to play themselves as the little underdogs. Several people in Villarreal mentioned Harry Maguire to me, and I think we've seen Manchester United without Harry Maguire in in recent matches. But then again, he played in, in Rome, and that was a chaotic performance as, as well. The coaches felt that the game in Rome was the worst performance of the season. Um, Oli absolutely hammered his players for not following instruction. So United are favourites. And while we can talk about the negatives and and the loss of form, United have stood up against Spanish opponents this season and gone through pretty comprehensively, having beaten Real Sociedad, that game in Turin, really played into United's uh, attack. And Granada, very good winning the first leg there. Now, both of them teams, after 37 games sit around Villarreal in the Spanish league table. So Villarreal are seventh. We're not talking about Atletico Madrid here. We're talking about Villarreal. And we can pick out their very, very good players or their highly motivated manager, but they're still seventh in the league in Spain. Just as Roma were seventh in Syria, Manchester United have technically superior players. They've got a wage bill which dwarfs Villarreal's the standing of the club and United have, have turned up um, in, in these matches. And I can remember the pessimism, even in the Europa League, when the draw was made against Real Sociedad, who were top of the table mm. in Spain, when AC Milan were next up and yeah. there was no short of shortage of pessimistic people going, that's us, we're going out. And then they don't come back and say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. They just move on to the next target, if you like. There wasn't so much of it around the Granada game because people didn't really know much about Granada. United have got to do what they did in 2017 when Mourinho got it exactly right, is is do a number in the final, turn up. I don't think the players will be phased by the occasion at all. There will be fans there. It's very, very, very complicated to get there. But United have got support all over Europe. There'll be Polish Reds there. And Villarreal have been pretty fortunate with injury. They've got some very, very good players. But Manchester United should be overcoming Villarreal in that final but as you both talked about the, the form has been a, a worry in recent matches not the first time that the seasons have finished terribly the last games under Van Gaal or oh, Mourinho's awful. 
an awful season. We're, we're among the worst in Manchester United's history. And it was always like this. I can remember a crowd of 23,000 at Old Trafford and 26,000 against Everton in the, in the late 80s when the season was done and dusted. And the team have obviously not got that must we must win to reach the Champions League because they've already done it. And it's to the credit that Manchester United are second. But am I worried? I'm as worried like you like you two lads are because it is worrying when you see performances like the second half against Fulham, the madness of Liverpool. And there's mitigating circumstances, the intensity of the games, which Ollie was, was furious about. Leicester needed to win. Leicester are a very good team. But they played Manchester United's reserve teams. So United have done the hard work to get to second. No one expected second at the start of this season. They just didn't. Nobody did. Everyone expected first, as if. And if they win the Europa League, then I think you've got to say the season's been a success. But yeah, it's not been entertaining the last few matches. Well, maybe that's the wrong term because it has been entertaining for the neutral. It's been more worrying for Manchester United, especially without Maguire. I termed this section the season the Darren Gibson section. So this is normally when Fergie would play Darren Gibson and he'd shoot from 25 yards out and it'd get deflected and go in against Hull or against Blackpool and whatnot. Uh, the interesting thing is, while we're still having the long-range goals from Manchester United, we're also seeing some shaky defensive performances. Um, I think Axel Twenzebe is solid, and I'm not sure if Eric Blair will come in, but there should be enough firepower for United to be confident for the Europa League final. We do have a question here about the starting lineups. Alex Nutson, at Alex Nutson on Twitter, that says, should Rashford be benched on Wednesday against Wolves? Clearly not 100% fit, with possibly with the intention to keep him for the Europa League final. Would Pogba on the left and Greenwood on the right work? I want to get your thoughts here, Laurie. Should United use Wolves as a tune-up for the Europa League final or just rest everyone? Uh, uh, it's a tough call now, you know. I, I would have said if they'd beaten Fulham and been clean in, in their performances, I would have said, totally change everybody but I kind of feel like maybe some players need to play themselves into a little bit of form certainly the that centre-back position next to Victor Lindelof if it's not going to be Harry Maguire I would probably say you need you need to pick the player that it's going to be against Wolves so that they're in you know in the mode of playing next to Lindelof the goalkeeping situation is obviously up for debate which we'll get on to I've got another listener question on that one so yeah I mean I think do you rest Bruno just because he's played so much does he want to be rested do you kind of give him half a match and, and take him off um, rather than you know send him on for a second half it's, it's a difficult one I, I think he'll make a few changes I think there'll be certain players that start Donny van der Beek I'm sure will start I could see Ahmad starting and I could see perhaps a, a couple of the kids getting a run out against Wolves we, obviously we saw Anthony Alango against Leicester we got a question about Hannibal Mesbury from one of the listeners from Ben at Bath Ben who asked about Hannibal Mesbury I, I think he would have featured for the first team before now, if it wasn't for his injury, he got sent off in his last under-23s match against Derby. And I think that that is a, a, a bit of a point that he needs to address. It was for uh, Ill, Ill, Ill discipline against the referee. And I think that maybe is just a, a, you know, a factor in whether he gets a, a nod or not. But I can, I can see him coming on for like, you know, the last 10 minutes maybe of the game and kind of getting his debut and, and, and a positive note to the end, end of the season. So yeah, I think, but there are all these kind of discussions that he's got to have um, on the Gunnar Solskjaer. And I think... And, and as you mentioned, Andy, you know, the, the intensity of those games at home. And I think that is a is a fair point, you know, that this kind of criticism of the home form, it was such an unusual set of circumstances, not least the, the frequency of the fixtures, but also the fact that the Liverpool game was, you know, it had to turn Old Trafford into a, a prison, basically. Getting the players in six hours ahead of kickoff, change 
the executive suites into bedrooms so that they could have a, a nap before games. You know, obviously they usually have a bit of a, a rest at the Lowry before coming over to Old Trafford. So I think that was a really difficult situation to get to. I mean, listen, we, we were, I was stood at the hill, you know, the the gate that you the, the coaches usually come in through. I was stood at the hill kind of so I could see the usual entrance, but also the back entrance, which I know some, I've seen coaches leave through that entrance before. And I mm-hmm. wondered if that if that's how Liverpool would come in and then you see them all of a sudden, there's, there's a load of protesters, green and gold flares, going on outside with a heavy police presence by the normal entrance and around the back you know line of duty style you've got the <laughs> two the two black coaches where the, the red one's been you know blocked off in some side street in manchester with the this means more logo on and listen if liverpool were really going to come in using that coach it, it wouldn't have been the most discreet of, of vehicles to use so they've got to two other vehicles but i i get and I, listen i suppose you could say that well that was liverpool's preparations disrupting it didn't seem to harm them but i kind of feel like that is a fair context. And, and Solskjaer, I think, got a bit of criticism, didn't he, on Twitter for some stuff he said on Sunday, basically saying it had an, had, had an impact. But I think the full quote kind of explained that he was sort of just saying that in, in terms of a context. He wasn't saying that that was the reason. He just, you know, mm-hmm. providing it as genuine context, which I think is fair enough. Looking ahead to the Wolves game, they'll, they'll just want a bit of normality to it. Obviously, they won't want any any more injuries because I think that's another sort of point to raise about the Fulham game in that, that Fred and McTominay sort of both look like they suffered Knox, so I guess you know they they will be rotated out. There's no point risking them against Wolves. I think we'll see about five or six changes, perhaps not the wholesale ones that we saw against Leicester. Solskjaer subbed off McTominay early, and then said Fred was walking, more as hobbling after Fulham. The big question now seems to be who's going to take that left hand spot in the Europa League final, Andy. You've spoken to loads of Manchester United managers. You've watched loads of Manchester United games. You've been to a couple of European finals with Manchester United. In a one-off game with Manchester United, do you go with the counter-attacking punch of Marcus Rashford or the passing ability of Paul Pogba on the left-hand side? I think Pogba deserves to start in the final. Up until a few weeks ago, I would have said that Rashford deserves to start. When I saw that uh, lineup against Fulham the other night, part of me thought, this is the lineup he's going with for the final. And your points about Axel needing to settle a little bit, I think that is absolutely valid. Victor Lindelof was playing on his preferred side. Uh, I don't expect Harry Maguire to feature. Uh, maybe he will prove everybody wrong. Certainly in Villarreal, there's a feeling that he won't be playing. And there was a lot of relief uh, attached to that. I think um, you've got to start Paul Pogba in that final. And then Mason looks more happier on the right than and more effective than, than Marcus. Marcus isn't in, in form, don't know how his fitness is. But then it also seems bizarre not to play Marcus. Marcus and Pogba were the best two players. Uh, last time United came up against a really good Spanish team, Celta Vigo in the... The semi-final in 2017, a very, mm-hmm. very strong performance away away from home. And it's nice for Oli to have the choice because there are other teams who have got have been decimated by the by injuries by the, this time of, of year. Villarreal like to play good football. Villarreal's main three players have been effective against some of the best teams in Spain this season. But if you look at their, their individual results, when they played Granada, so this is a measurement which you know United played Granada, one-one drawn one. Real Sociedad one-one drawn one. So even 
the United are missing Maguire. They've still got to be thinking, got to be favourites here. There's questions all over the pitch. De Gea or Henderson? I'd, I'd go with, with De Gea. And I thought he did well the other night. I thought Dean's form has been has been patchy. But I cannot not see Paul Pogba starting. It was quite interesting when McTominay went off. It was Pogba who, who shifted position. So does he go for that counter-attack, which he did against, um, against Real Sociedad, because they like to press. But they were... Uh, Unai Emery, right, he's so motivated for this match because he feels that he got a really raw deal by the British media when he was at Arsenal. And he's got a fantastic, he's got a better record in this competition than anybody. Three European clear- wins. And he's clearly capable and he, he took Arsenal to the final as well. So you've got an extremely motivated manager there, but it's an even bigger game for United. You know, Oli really needs that that first trophy. Um, it's an it's an intriguing lineup. In terms of Wolves, I think we'll see a, a seven out of eleven team if that makes sense. I don't think we'll see, as you said, the, the wholesale changes that some players do need to play themselves into form. If Axel's going to start in Poland, he needs to be playing matches and building upon his partnership with Victor Lindelof. If it's going to be Eric Bailly, then he would need to start. I suspect Axel after the other night and probably the best his best game of the season was in a huge game, so I don't think he'll be nervous. But in Paris, he, he, he was outstanding. Uh, but it would be good to go to get a win. That said, when United went into the final in, in Rotterdam, they'd been battered 3-0 at Crystal Palace away a few days before. So sometimes it doesn't really mean anything. Those players know that they've got to turn up. They'll be highly motivated. There's financial incentives as well. It isn't the Champions League, but they all absolutely loved what happened in Stockholm a few years ago. And if you notice this weekend, uh, Antonio Valencia retired and he had a tattoo done and it was him on his, the tattoo was on his leg. It was him holding up the Europa League trophy in Stockholm three years ago. It's a big deal to the players. It really is. Right. You did mention the goalkeeping situation. We do have a listener question from Jess Dingley at Jessica Dingley on Twitter. It is addressed to Laurie. So I'll ask it to Laurie. What do you know about a goalkeeper situation? Is De Gea saying, will Henderson be number one? We'll both be happy to stay without being a regular number one. It's a really complicated situation, this one, isn't it? Um, it looked like it, it, there had been clarity to it. And then um, Dean Henderson had a difficult game against Liverpool. Uh, you could probably say three of the goals. I mean, the, the Salah one, it's not his fault, is it? It's a one-on-one um, and, um, you know, no, no go no goalkeeper should be the kind of guy, you know, that's a favourite in a one-on-one, really. I, I have spoken to goalkeepers and uh, a certain Arsenal striking legend, and he would tell you that when you're a goalkeeper in that situation and you're in a one-on-one, you're essent- you basically get your angles right and you're essentially waiting for or hoping for the striker to take a heavy touch. And then when they do, that's when you shoot out your goal. So in the Salah situation, Henderson goes a little bit too wide. So it shows a very obvious angle for Salah to shoot. And then when Salah does take the heavy touch, which he does quite often, um, he doesn't engage. He stays rooted to the spot. So uh, not to say it's Henderson's fault, 
but he could have done better. Well, I watched it back also. And I suppose this is um, a part of a game where you've got a goalkeeper that is off his line in normal play. And he actually runs back towards his goal and turns his back on Salah at one point. And so it feels like he maybe drops too deep and doesn't quite get his his depth right. Mm-hmm. So I, the point I was making, I suppose, was that it's a one-on-one. So it's like, even if he did everything right, you'd still think Salah. And, and I would also flag that against Sadio Mane, one-on-one, he makes a good tackle and, and stops a goal there. So I kind of, in my head, I sort of balanced those two things out. Obviously the scoop save against Alexander-Arnold wasn't good. And the sort of punch against McTominay, was it necessary? But that is fair enough. But at the same time, you know, De Gea hasn't been faultless this season. You know, it got quite, you think about the mistakes that De Gea has made last season against Everton, against Chelsea in an FA Cup uh, semi-final, against Sevilla in a Europa League semi-final with a couple of goals that you think more organisation, better presence on crosses. But listen, De Gea's got the credit in the bank from years of, of pulling United out of the out of the shit, basically. And he showed that again, you know, away in Rome, as Andy said, you know, there was only maybe him and Cavani that, that came out of that game with credit, you know. Yep. And as he says, it was a really... Uh, I think the coaches were, were furious, really, at some of the professionalism of, of the players, you know, in terms of this is a tie that you go and need to see out and, and it, you know, you nearly crumbled. Um, so that's a concern for, for the Europa League final. For the goalkeeping situation, listen, it's been this way all season. Uh, Henderson came back and signed a new contract and the idea was that he would challenge uh, David De Gea for the number one slot. He had to wait longer than I think he thought he was going to have to wait to get a consistent run. Solskjaer looked like he timed it very nicely with De Gea going back over to Spain. Good management, allow a player, you know, all the time in the world to, to become a new father. It shows a human side. Also at the same time, let's have a look at Dean Henderson properly. But now it feels like it's got to a difficult situation where neither one knows where they're at. And I was on a, a thing with uh, Peter Schmeichel a few weeks ago. And listen, he's obviously a very strongly opinionated character, but he said that the situation between the two players was ridiculous in that, you know, you need a manager to be saying, you are my number one. Even if you make a mistake, I'll continue to back you. That's not the case. I do have sympathy for Solskjaer in that what else is he supposed to do? He's, he's got to carefully handle it. David De Gea is on a lot of money. He's not going to go anywhere this summer, I don't think, certainly not on a permanent deal. The only thing I could see happening is if, you know, maybe Paris Saint-Germain sign him on loan with a substantial portion of his wages covered, but they won't cover all of them. And there's also a feeling that Kayla Navas is a, a very popular figure there and they wouldn't do that to Kayla Navas. So to that potentially, you know, closes one door. Who have I heard that before? <laughs> a goalkeeper? Yeah. A golfing situation involving David De Gea and Kayla Navas. Navas. But I don't. I think the fax machine might be okay <laughs> this time. But um, it's weird, isn't it? How how things sort of repeat themselves. And I mean, listen, Pochettino knows the the value of a David De Gea star show, doesn't he? Uh, from Wembley that time. <laughs> but Henderson for sure will not want another season where he's sort of, you know, number two. He he wants to be the number one. And I don't get the sense that he'll want to hang around. Now it's, it's sort of one thing to say that, another thing to then be able to go and do it. The same situation applies for him. He's got a good wage. It would take a significant transfer fee from a club to sign him this summer. And then obviously, you know, the, the salary contribution on top of that. Where does he go? I'm not sure. There obviously are clubs that are interested in him. He's a young English goalkeeper. I really like him. I think his presence and I think his communication, I think 
Um, he obviously there is areas that he can work on, but I think the way he's this has been his first season at Manchester United, and I think if I reflect back to David de Gea's first season, okay, he was in the new country and he was probably three years younger. That's a fair you know comparison to make. And David de Gea wasn't as assured, no way near as, as Dean Henderson has been in certain matches. You look at the Man City game. You look at the Spurs game away, two really good goalkeeping performances for my money that were, were doing the quiet stuff well, where it's not like he's having to pull off un- unbelievable saves because he's the last line of defence. Actually, he kind of made it so that the chances didn't start in the first place. Um, so, yeah, it's a really difficult situation. I, I mean, maybe they, they ultimately both stay and you kind of have this kind of slightly uneasy situation again you know personally there's no problem between them they, they push each other in training but you know they, they've got a good relationship it's not like that sort of you know having arguments every now and again um, over who's who should start but you look at the the flip side and what United are, are doing in the, the the market with goalkeepers they are looking at, at goalkeepers Tom Heaton is one that they are looking at who um, would be coming if he would were to sign on a free from Aston Villa, I believe. Um, they do have an option to trigger his extra year in, in his contract, but I don't think that's something they're looking to do at the moment. Does he come in as a number two? He's, mm-hmm. he's 35, but he is a, a quality goalkeeper, or would he be coming in as a, a kind of number three, a league, a league grant possible replacement? Lee Grant still, you know, that, that situation is yet to be resolved. So, but the, the, the idea that United are looking at other goalkeepers makes me think that you know, that Henderson De Gea situation is something that they're very alert to and they know needs resolving. I don't think that David De Gea is the goalkeeper that he was. I think that Dean Henderson's definitely got something, but the confidence in him has been knocked in the the last couple of weeks, but he's had some very good matches as well. I wouldn't be stunned if the situation continued. David earns that much money. He's by a distance the best paid goalkeeper in the world. Is he the best goalkeeper in the world? No, no, he's not. Jan Oblak at Atletico Madrid is a better goalkeeper than him. And it's an odd one. I don't think it's a major concern, but there's been times this season where you're thinking we need a better goalkeeper. United's duty is to look at other goalkeepers. I've seen lots of players linked back into United. The other players at the club, uh, Matec, Kovai, he's nowhere near ready for first team. He'll probably go out on loan again. Um, ne- next season didn't have a good loan spell at Swindon this season so when players do go out on loan it's really important that they go to a club where they're playing regularly it's not about money it's about them you know, building and, and improving uh, I saw Sam Johnson linked back to Manchester United he's at, he's at West Brom I think I don't think it's Manchester United's priority like uh, some of the outfield positions are as Laurie says David and Dean get on fine. There's definitely a feeling that David needed pushing more and Dean has absolutely done that. So that's been good. Romero, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an odd one, this, because Romero was often seen as being the best number two. And yet there was also a feeling at the same time that David wasn't being pushed enough. And yet when I spoke to Sergio, he's like, I was really gutted to be dropped. There's often more than one version of the truth uh, within football. I like Dean. Sometimes I, I, I think his overconfidence can work against him. And if it's not him saying things directly, then it's his messages coming out from his camp. I won't stand for this. And I'm thinking maybe you should be doing this from a, a level of stronger performances because you're sailing quite close to the wind where fans might think, 
well do one then. But at the moment, he's not in a bad place, but no one's saying, right, it's time to let David De Gea go either. It's a tricky one, one that might take uh, at least another half season to sort out. All right, let's move on to another question. And that you said we're not going to do a Sancho section this summer, so we won't. But unfortunately, another football player has emerged that probably requires his own transfer saga. Uh, it's a certain Mr. Harry Kane. We got a question from Daniel at Daniel 996468836. That's how you know it's a good Twitter at. Uh, it says, Sancho or Kane, who will be more viable for Manchester United? Plus, do we know anything about the right back situation? Uh, right then. So the news that came out this week is that Harry Kane has expressed his want or request to uh, leave Tottenham Hotspur. He might have played his final home game of the season in a very strange defeat to Aston Villa on the Wednesday. There are maybe a handful of clubs that can afford Harry Kane. Uh, so to my money, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City. So as ever, Manchester United are on the list. Laurie, do we know if this is anywhere in the realms of possibility? Harry Kane's certainly on United's list. Um, I did a piece for um, David Ornstein's column uh, about a month ago where I was talking about Haaland being the number one in the centre-forward list and the fact that Harry Kane was you know, was a, a genuine number two. I think the the price of Haaland, there's, there's people that think that Haaland will stay put at Dortmund this summer, no matter what Minerola is, is kind of doing. Dortmund sound relaxed about it. They've come out publicly and talked about that. And I think the perception is that Haaland would cost too much money, would break the wage structure, would would cause too much difficulty to, to get over the line. So attention to Harry Kane. Um, I'm led to believe there are talks ongoing and the situation is difficult though because it's Daniel Levy <laughs> and <laughs> Harry Kane has a three-year contract and you know agents that have dealt with Daniel Levy even on trivial um, sort of transfers I suppose say that the detail that he goes into on each one makes it a kind of painful situation as, as it progresses um, he's obviously looking out for his own club and so Harry Kane you can multiply that by 10 you know it's obviously going to be if it happens a huge transfer the figure I'm hearing is sort of 140 million pounds, which for a player who turns 28 um, this summer, you look that's that's a, a kind of you're locked in, aren't you? He's he's your player for the rest of his career. Um, there's no real resale value there. He's obviously still at the peak of his powers. You know, another 20 goal season in the Premier League, Golden Boot contender. So he is a a phenomenal player that I think would really elevate Manchester United. And and listen, you know, we reported on the Athletic about a month ago, Jack Pitbrook and Oliver Kay that Harry Kane wanted to leave Tottenham in, in quite a strong way. And it does feel like this week it's sort of stepped up a little bit. But from what I'm told, those kind of conversations have been going on for a long time between, you know, Harry Kane and Daniel Levy. It's not like he's kind of gone in this week and said, you know, demanded you know, I want to leave and it's a, a total revelation or anything like that. I think these are, it's just getting towards a point where, you know, let's see, let's let's actually put our money where our mouths are and, and see who's available in terms of potential clubs to go to and I'm really where we're at with what Spurs w- would demand. Daniel Levy says that he won't sell to a Premier League rival and you look at Luka Modric, he sold abroad. You look at Gareth Bale, he sold abroad. So when, when, he ha- when they both had... Um, you know, Premier League interest in them. So listen, he, he probably is true to his word in that regard, but it's holding on clubs just to test it. Yeah, the three years left on Harry Kane's contract means that the the power really is in Spurs' his hands. People that I speak to who, who know this kind of thing say that two years on his deal, if it, if it had been that, would be, yeah, 
I'm sure he'll go because the age is out. You know, his value is only going to appreciate. There are people that think this is actually a perfect summer for Spurs to sell Harry Kane. They've got, you know, debts to repay. The stadium needs paying for. COVID has hit their finances hard. This is the price that if they got would be the most they could ever sell Harry Kane for. Could they reinvest it in a squad that has, you know, a different dynamic to it? So that's one consideration. Then again, on the flip side, they want, uh, Hyung Min Sun to sign a new contract. Is he going to sign a new contract if Harry Kane leaves? Mm-hmm. I would doubt it. So there's so many different factors to it, which just, so my initial gut reaction is that it's going to be too difficult, but for sure there's, there's you know, conversations taking place, inquiries are being made. You look at the alternative clubs that he, he could go to, for sure that, you know, as you say, Man City uh, have, have, have analysed him. Chelsea, I think, want a striker and he would fit the bill would he go to Chelsea the saga uh, element to this you know could well develop um, I think the only thing to say on that is is that you know from what we're being told he wants the situation sorted kind of quickly you know which might be wishful thinking but you look at the Euros if, if it drags on over the Euros is that ideal I don't think so maybe it comes to a point where they quickly decide yes or no and, and let's get on with it. Um, and it kind of ends there. I kind of wonder if the rumblings will continue throughout the summer until either he leaves or it's the end of the transfer window. I want to pick out that mention you said there about 140 million. Andy, bit of a hard question here. Do you think Manchester United have 140 million to spend in the summer? And do you think that money, if they do have it, could be spent elsewhere? I don't think United will be spending... 140 million on a player any more than I didn't think United were going to be spending 120 million on Jaden Sancho a year ago. United know they've got to strengthen, not just because a significant number of fans are unhappy. The manager has always been consistent. I think we've seen it in the last few matches as well. You mentioned Jaden Sancho, someone like him would be much more probable where United get the player for a lot less than was being asked for last year. It's incentivised and they can make it stack up like they did with, with Bruno Fernandes. United mm-hmm. will walk away from deals just as they did with Bruno. You know, Oli wanted Bruno six months before he came. And United come up against his perception of, of less wealthy clubs or smaller clubs thinking, ah, it's Man United, they'll pay top dollar. And you can argue that United have been stung by this, by paying way too much in wages and, and transfer fees for some players who haven't been a success. With Haaland, I was told a long time ago, Spain is his more likely destination for now. He can go there, he can score loads and loads of goals. I think people sometimes forget, living in the Premier League bubble, how big a deal Barcelona and Real Madrid are. I know some players are at big Premier League clubs, and not just at Liverpool, because they always tend to move on to (laughs) Barcelona. And their, their dream is to play for Real Madrid. And... United or Liverpool fans or Chelsea fans, they don't always understand that, but their dream is to play for Real Madrid. They're seen as being um, top of of, of the top. Fans wouldn't be sated with um, a transfer window like last year because I think you've got to say Donny's been pretty underwhelming so far. I think Cavani staying definitely adds a a factor to United's striking position because if Martial's going to stay, and I know in the past that people have sounded out Martial and United have just said Joel Glazer loves him. He's a big favourite of the Glazer family. <laughs> and I, I would be surprised, given that strength of feeling, if Martial 
were, were sold. I always want to know why. I want to know if they had a really nice summer dinner or so, uh, if Joel Glazer recommend, uh, you know, was recommended a pair of trainers or something. Like, What happened there <laughs> to make that relationship so strong? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I've been to Martial's house. He, he grew up very close to Patrice Evra and his family are very well respected in, in Les Ulysses, which is a part of Paris where they're from. They're seen as being a family of really good footballers. And Thierry Henry's from the estate as well. And he doesn't always look the happiest man when he's playing Anthony Martial, but I'm told when he's home, he, he cuts a completely different figure. He's paid for buses for his local football club. He's really, really well respected there. But if you've got Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, um, Cavani, mm-hmm. then I don't think there's that desperate, we've got to go out and buy Kane. Because Oli. Definitely likes Kane. There's people at the club definitely likes Kane. And who wouldn't like Harry Kane? He's a world-class striker. His, his record is incredible. And I did some digging into his injuries. Nah, he's he's top, top, top. But can I see United going and pushing and pushing like they did to get Berbatov, where they're going to have to be shattering transfer records and paying 130, 140 million? I just can't. It's going to take the player to push really, really hard. United are not the top dogs like, like they were. Uh, I just cannot see um, him coming unless the circumstances changed uh, drastically. And you might argue that with Cavani staying and finding form, that there are other priorities on the pitch. And Sancho fits far more into United's long-term vision following this cultural reboot, if you like, mm-hmm. than, than Harry Kane. There was a little mention after Fulham where the Solskjaer was asked, does Cavani signing a new contract mean United aren't necessarily go for a striker? And Solskjaer gave a... Curious answer. He was a, no, it doesn't mean my business is done. But I, I wouldn't say it necessarily led to him saying, that means I'm definitely going to go out and get Harry Kane. One thing I also mentioned is Borussia Dortmund uh, did win the German Cup, the DBF Pokai, uh, and they look a shoe-in to finish. Well, they are a shoe-in to finish in the top four Champions League spaces now. So there's no um, requirement for Dortmund to sell any of their players, really, in terms of a fire sale. Laurie, what do you make of all this? Picking up on what Andy said, and I agree with you, Carl, the fact that they've reached the Champions League, the Haaland situation just just strengthens that. You know, they've come out publicly and said they're confident of keeping him. But, you know, behind the scenes, they're also saying the same things. And the Champions League money that they'll get means they just don't have to sell as they might have done previously. And Jaden Sancho, therefore, two years left on his deal is is a much more palatable sale for them. United, it makes much more sense because it's less than what they were being asked last summer. It's it's actually a, you know, a good bit of business if they can get him for... You know, you're talking about 80 million pounds, I think, uh, maybe even a little bit less if you kind of, you know, make it work with add-ons, which for a player of Jaden Sancho's quality, age, I know that he didn't start the season fantastic, but he's back to his scintillating best, Rafa Honigstein tells me, our, our German uh, correspondent. So, he, he, and, and, he, and we know that he gets on well with Manchester United players, you know, him and Marcus Rashford have a really strong relationship, so... It would be one that you could easily see him fitting into the squad. Uh, we know that the wages and the agent fee, for example, last summer were agreed. So you, you don't. It doesn't take too much of a leap to think that that could work this summer. I suppose the only thing with Kane, and I think it's really important what you say about Solskjaer's response there, is that they they know that Cavani. Yeah, this is his this is his last season, pretty much. Okay, maybe he might something might happen next season where he, he, he you know he signs another year extension but we're talking about the twilight of his career very much so do you really you know it just just having him as you is he going to start 40 games a season next season 
you know, that's debatable. Is Mason Greenwood ready to start? You know, the, the kind of the, the, the same number of games as a centre forward. I think he's shown really good progression in his centre forward play this year, particularly that goal where he, he collected Aaron Wambasaka's pass and, and turned against Aston Villa and hitting at the near post. That was from a centre forward position. So, yeah, that could that could work. And Anthony Marshall, we'll we'll see. Could he come back to the form from last season, um, next season? He is an interesting one because he is one that when Andy mentions United aren't going to spend that money, yeah. Absolutely. They're not going to go and spend 140 million on one player. Could they make it work with player trades? And this is always this fanciful thing that, you know, some people always laugh at me whenever I suggest, could, could you kind of throw Marshall into the mix? Or Jesse Lingard is another name that has been genuinely considered in terms of Spurs and, and Harry Kane. Roche Thomas wrote that detail in his piece this week, um, our West Ham correspondent. And that then starts to become perhaps a bit more realistic. But as you say, you know, Joe Glazer loves Anthony Marshall. Would he sanction it? You know, he is very much, we talk about Sancho last summer, you know, as I've said before, he, he is very much across these kind of things. You know, I think he's into his data analysis. Maybe that's why he really likes Anthony Marshall, that his, his numbers are off the charts. I mean, you, you know better than me on that one, Carl. Maybe he just likes the, the high, technical qualities that he brings sometimes. I mean, I saw a replay of that goal against Watford, uh, against Ben Foster, and I was thinking, ow, how's, how's he scored that? I remember being in the stadium at that time. Incredible finish. But obviously he hasn't done it this season, apart from Man City. So w- would, but would United trade a younger centre forward who, who possibly could develop um, into a, a better one for, for Harry Kane? It's up for debate, isn't it? But I think what you get with Harry Kane is a guarantee of X number of matches, X number of goals. So that that's why it's something that they are looking at because if he wants to lead Tottenham, as Rio Ferdinand has said, you know, you'd be foolish not to at least explore the possibility. You know, you can't sort of say no without even having those kind of conversations. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Andy, talk to me a lot more about your trip to Villarreal. You've got a lot of work coming up on The Athletic between now and uh, the 26th of May, and I can't wait. Some background stories on Manchester United players, which I don't think people will have known and these relationships take a long, long time to build up before people talk properly to you. Uh, on Villarreal, um, I spoke to Danny Parejo. Danny is probably their best midfielder and his former manager at Valencia was Gary Neville. So I spoke to Gary as part of that piece as well and he gave me some really good detail about Danny Parejo, what Danny does well, and then asked me to pass on a message to Danny. And 
Danny's like, okay, I'm surprised he says that. So it's quite interesting being a journalist when you can talk like that. I also spoke to one player who was a huge star at Villarreal for a separate interview, having left Manchester United. No, not Giuseppe Rossi, but Diego Forlan. <laughs> and what we did with Diego, and he, he wrangles after uh, after training in, in Uruguay on, on Monday, um, I just got him to look at season 2004-05. And mm-hmm. I thought it was quite a good way of doing it. He started off a sub for Man United, the fourth choice striker. He wasn't started in the first game, despite Van Nistelrooy and Louis Sahar missing. He felt he had to get out of United and he went to Villarreal. And he finished that season, which had started so badly, as the European Golden Boot winner and the top scorer in Spain. So what I wanted was, in his words, this transformation from, I need to get out of it, I've had enough. I've got no relationship with um, Ruud van Nistelrooy on the pitch. And how he then moved to a new place, got a pay rise, living by the beach, started playing every week, and then just, you know, it just went absolutely brilliantly for him. And as part of that, I also spoke to Manuel Pellegrini, who was his manager. Oh. <laughs> and Manuel was saying, yeah, I did, have, I did have to tell him off a couple of times, ask him if he remembers when he had a word with him in the hotel lift. Diego, can you remember what it was like in the lift when you got a bit of a telling off? Yeah, I can. And uh, yeah, he was right and I was wrong. So <laughs> I, I love getting into that detail where somebody can say one thing and you can go to them and say, well, is this true? And well, not quite. No, I didn't see it like that. So th- there's lots of stuff. Um, there's lots of stuff coming up, which I think subscribers will enjoy and lots of detail in there. And then we'll be going to go dance, won't we? And doing all the stuff from there as well. So I'm sure there's, there's going to be a lot to happen. I was going to interview yet another Villarreal player, but I've just not got time. I've got a young, <laughs> I've got a young family. So that's where we're at with it. But loads of good stuff coming up in, in, in the Athletic and some good United stuff coming up as well from yourselves. And I've done some stuff too. Looking forward to it, readers. You might be able to uh, get a review of the Axe Works and film Never Give In coming up soon on the website from myself uh laurie i know you've been barring away on some amazing stuff and i'm not going to reveal what it is but i'm going to let you talk about it if you want to <laughs> oh is this is this, I, i'm trying to think have i, have I been bar- <laughs> hopefully i have hopefully you give me the big big uh, build up there haven't you so listen yeah uh hopefully some stuff to come in the near future i'm, I'm going to do a little sort of transfer roundup for people i know i've sort of touched into it uh, on this podcast but if you log on uh, probably over this weekend, there should be a kind of proper thorough uh, thought out um, view of, of what I think could happen and what the situation is for, for various different, you know, potential signings. Um, as ever with these things, they are changeable. As Andy says, hopefully going to Gdansk, you know, pending negative tests. So that'll be fun to actually be there um, and, you know, witness hopefully, you know, what we think is going to be a, a bit of silverware for Solskjaer because I think that would be a real validation of of what he's done this season and a real sort of romantic touch really. For, it's not many players that win a, a trophy with the club and then go and as a player and then go and win it as a manager so that's hopefully what will then trigger more of these pieces that I think you're alluding to there's some sort of business to attend to isn't there with um, stuff off the field after the final um, there'll be Joel Glazer at the fans forum which was obviously uh, revealed 
at the time of, of the Super League collapse that actually, okay, he's going to start communicating more, which I think is a pretty sort of significant moment in 16 years of ownership. I mean, it's it's overdue and, <laughs> you know, will he say anything of, of consequence? Can we hold him to what he says? Um, you know, because I think it's easy to sort of say things. Uh, actions will obviously speak louder. Um, it will be interesting how you know, how, how that communication goes, the format of it. Um, I, he can't just be there listening in to questions from fans um, and, and sort of passively he has to engage. But that's on June the 4th. So that's, you know, pretty soon after the final. So, you know, you've got to, you know, I'm sure he will hope that it's off the back of a Europa League victory, but we'll, we'll see what he has to say at that point. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that I think might be asked is uh, what happens with the women's team following the resignation of head coach Casey Stoney? So Manchester United's women's team, Casey Stoney has resigned. Uh, as I understand it, they are going to take a long-term approach to try and find a potential successor. But some of the reports regarding Casey Stoney's uh, resignation are basically United players only found out about an hour, hour and a half before her resignation. We know that uh, there wasn't full-time access for the women's team around Carrington and the Cliff. Uh, and United players on the women's team had to use Portaloos and or were offered hotels. So again, another interesting wrinkle to, to Manchester United and their club ownership um, and how much investment is being offered to, to the team there or thereabouts. Uh, do any any thoughts there as to what you think Joe Glazer might say if that question pops up? Well, he's got to do something. He, he not only is it about communication, um, there's some very capable people on that fans forum who will be pushing him, who will not be fobbed off, who have got uh, demands which they made that there needs to be change at the club and not just in forms of better communication. One area which was spoken about was that the fans can buy shares and have a tangible voice within the club because at the moment the way the shares are, are done, um, if you buy the shares which aren't owned by the Glazer family, there's, there's, there's almost zero power uh, to them. So he can't, he, he's got to listen, but he's also if he's seen as trying to buy time and hoping that the mood will change, then I think that would be the wrong tactic to make. People at the club have always said, actually, he's not that bad a guy. He loves United. It's almost impossible to sell that idea to United fans. They just won't. That that takeover is so unpopular, has always been unpopular, will continue to be unpopular. It was a highly leveraged buyout. No one, people are always going to struggle to buy that. But, when fans see things like the lack of investment into the stadium, and you could add the the Casey Stoney leaving as part of this. I remember putting it to Ed Woodward two years ago, why are some youth coaches training in porter cabins? And he looked at me and said, wow, how do you know that? And I'm like, it's my job to know this sort of stuff. And what's happened with the women's team, well, it doesn't make money, it loses money. So it's never going to be a priority. And sometimes when the fans kick up a fuss or journalists write stories, then United, who can be really slow to move at times on things, they really can. There's, you know, just talk about this is going to happen and three years later, nothing has happened. So Must, for example, have been talking with the club about some form of share ownership for years. And sometimes it's good when they're brought into the spotlight. I think the protests have been have achieved some success in terms of bringing Joe Glazer to the table. Uh, it will be in America. It will be by by Zoom. And hopefully something constructive can come from that. But it is set against 
deep cynicism from United fans. They're not just sceptical, they're cynical because they have very little trust in, in, in the Glazer family owning the club. And when stories come out about why Casey Stoney left or why Nicky Butt but left, then it just adds to that. And then again, there'll, be, there'll always be some people who are never happy. You know, My dad was moaning after the treble was won. And I spoke two weeks ago to Martin Edwards, the former chairman. He got slaughtered for years. Peter Kenyon, David Gill, the leading executives. But I think now the strength of feeling against the Glazer family, it's very real. Fans are absolutely entitled to some very legitimate opinions uh, which were brought to the fore when the club signed up to the European Super League and, and dropped a huge mistake, which they acknowledge, but it was a huge mistake. But it brought into play all these other issues about legislation, about ownership. And as I said, there's good people on that fans forum. They made their feelings very, very clear, which I don't think was expected uh, by Edward Wood, by Richard Arnold. And I think they'll do exactly the same thing again. Much to think about, much to ask, and much about Manchester United. But I think that's the end of this week's episode of Talk of Levels. Apart from one question from Lance Martin at MR536, who simply asks, has Andy Mitten deciphered the Polish train ticket website yet? Not only have I managed to book a Polish rail ticket, I've managed to book a PCR test in Poland. <laughs> and when I did that the other day, I was absolutely... I did have a lot of help from a United fan who's moved to Gdansk um, and, and Chris subscribes to United We Stand, got in touch with me and he held my hand and talked me through answering all these questions about my health in Polish. And yeah, I've got my PCR test. I'm set to go, but you know, life's never straightforward but yeah the, the polish rail system i was telling another mate of mine who's going out there and he said oh it looks straightforward to me it's all in english four hours later he rang me back and said no you were right they basically <laughs> don't want your money they don't want your money we're going to run a train system we're going to do everything we can to force you not to pay us to use our trains i'm sure if you're living in poland you've got a very different experience of it but you know it, it was just bizarre the trains look very nice. I'm looking forward to going. Warsaw looks spot on. Gdansk looks absolutely beautiful. Let's come back with a trophy. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for you and Laurie to meet up. But other than that, before we depart, let me remind you, listener, you can subscribe to The Athletic for the special price of $3.99 a month for the next six months. That's 40% off the price of a full subscription. Just in time for the Euros. There's going to be some fantastic articles on both the England team, other teams at the Euros, as well as things on Manchester United some certain transfer news so I cannot recommend it enough it's going to be a must read go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to take advantage of that special 40% discount that's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod and that's the end of this Man United pod so thank you very much for joining me Laurie cheers Carl cheers Andy thanks for listening everybody uh, thank you very much for joining me Andy cheers Carl Laurie and thanks for listening everybody and thank you so much listener this has been Talk of Devils a Manchester United podcast brought to you from the Athletic we'll be back Sometime, hopefully, with a trophy soon. The Athletic.